The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Out of a person are what to file him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All these things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And if you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, you can join the volunteers in the back near the kids' zone sign. Thanks, Ruthie. Uh, This morning, we had a great passage read for us that I'm so excited uh, not to preach uh, because we have Mark Gregory with us. Mark Gregory is um, a, part, a person who's a part of this community. Um, he is the husband to Holly and the dad to Jude and Evie. Um, he can play a mean guitar and also make a mean guitar. So um, with that in mind, he's a gifted preacher and even a better friend. So would y'all welcome Mark Gregory this morning. Well, good morning. As Ben said, we've been visiting, lurking around Restoration for a few months now. Uh, and I'm just assuming after the three-month mark, they let you preach. Is that what all y'all experience as well? Or? <laughs> uh, no, I'm a pastor, and I, we just love being here. Uh, this is kind of the first time in mine and my wife's marriage where we get to go pick a church that we like really want to be at. Um, and so out of all the churches in Chattanooga, we found this one and just absolutely love it. And so, and I can say that because I'm not like a paid staff member. You know it's true. Uh, And so if you're here this morning, you're visiting, uh, you're just trying to find a place, you don't know what you believe, uh, I can tell you this is a a wonderful place to investigate the truth claims of Christianity. So stick around. Don't let me be the one that drives you away from this church. Come back next week and and check it out again. Uh, I want you to imagine that someone you know, maybe a friend or a spouse or a parent, someone texts you or calls you, uh, and all they say is, hey, we need to talk. Makes you feel really good, right? Uh, or imagine you're driving down the highway, it's late at night, and you're, you're following the speed limit, you're obeying all the rules, but then a cop car pulls up behind you, you get a little nervous, then the lights go on, and you hear that boop boop. W- what's your gut reaction to that? You think you're busted, right? You get a pit in your stomach. Uh, and when someone says to you, we need to talk, you immediately think, oh, what did I do? <laughs> right? What, what did I say to this person that offended them? Did I talk? Did I say something about them behind their back and it got around back to them again? Uh, Or something, maybe this is just me, but something that gets me every time. As you go to the grocery store or like a Lowe's or Home Depot looking for something, but they don't have what you need, and so you're walking out the door empty-handed and you're thinking, stay cool, you didn't steal anything. Uh, Everyone's looking at you really suspiciously. They're about to come tackle you, but you're innocent. You didn't do anything. Act natural. Uh, But even if you didn't steal anything, you didn't talk about your friends behind their back, Even if you're going the speed limit in the car, you are sure that you're about to get busted for something, right? And why is that? 
Uh, When we hear or see something that's even remotely accusatory to us, we just assume the worst. And why is that? What does that say about us as human beings? Does it not suggest that we know that deep down there's some level of guilt in us? Uh, That deep down we're just not good enough or we're out out of sorts with somebody or something? What I want to pitch at you this morning is that instead of trying to numb that feeling of guilt, uh, instead of trying to quiet that sense of, I'm not good enough, if you will lean into it and wrestle with it and take a good look at your heart and your thoughts and your actions, uh, even though that will lead you to despair and feel helpless, that is a perfect place for you to be in relation to God. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Jack Miller. He's a pastor and seminary professor, and he used to tell his students, Cheer up, you're worse than you think. <laughs> he says, but you are more loved in Christ than you could possibly imagine. In other words, the bad news is so much worse than you think it is, but the good news is unbelievably better than you can imagine. Uh, so let me pray. As Ben said, this is, I, I know why they gave me this passage. It's not a fun, easy passage to, to go through, uh, but let's just ask God for help as we go through it. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, even when it makes us feel uncomfortable or it makes us take an unwanted look into our own hearts and our minds, uh, that is good for us. And so would you comfort those who need comforting? Would you convict those who need convicting? And would you let all of us see you more clearly as more beautiful and believable? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our passage this morning, we're jumping into the middle of a conflict between Jesus and a group of folks called the Pharisees. Uh, And the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day and the Jewish leaders. Um, And the Jewish people, they really looked up to them and they respected them, in part because they had power and authority and lots of education, but also because the Pharisees, they went above and beyond following the letter of the law. And so on paper, they looked like they were just firing on all cylinders, obeying God's law. Um, And they even invented some of their own laws themselves, just heaped them on, just to make sure they didn't come anywhere close to breaking God's law. Uh, And if you're here this morning and you're kind of new to church, you're not that familiar with Christianity, I I think you might actually have an easier job kind of figuring out what's going on in this passage. Because when folks who grew up in the church hear the word Pharisee, what do you automatically think? You, You can say, talk to me back. Hypocrite, yes, bad guy. These are the bad guys. Uh, and they are bad guys. They, they put Jesus on a cross. But at the time, they were seen as very moral, very upstanding citizens. And the conflict we're looking at between them and Jesus is that both Jesus and the Pharisees agree that something is not right with men and women. Right? Both Jesus and the Pharisees agree that we are not good enough on our own. Uh, both Jesus and the Pharisees agree that everyone has some level of guilt before God. But they have completely different ways of addressing the problem. Sinclair Ferguson, he puts it really well. He talks about the Pharisees having this outside-in approach to getting clean, meaning if you do all the right things and you behave really well and you avoid all the bad things, then you're good. You'll be clean. You can make yourself good enough by your works. Uh, But Jesus says, no, you got to go through this inside-out approach. And he says the real issue is your heart and the state of your heart, and you've got to get that right and clean before you need to worry about your behavior. Spoiler alert, Jesus is right here, as he always is. Uh, But if you're here last week or you're listening to the podcast, Ben preached on the first half of this chapter, um, and you see the Pharisees, they're getting mad at Jesus. And the whole reason they're so mad is because his disciples 
weren't washing their hands before they ate dinner. Kind of sounds like my parents growing up. Or if you got little kids, you're always telling them to wash their hands. Uh, but they aren't so much worried about personal hygiene as they are with keeping their own laws uh, and that they created in order to make themselves feel better and apart and holier than everybody else. It wasn't a command from God, but it was this Jewish tradition that if you really wanted to be right with God and clean, you had to scrub down everything. Not just your hands, not just your body, but everything in your kitchen, everything in your house. If you got your Bibles open, verse 4 says that they even scrubbed down their couches just to make sure. And they had all kinds of rules of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Um, and I'm not making fun, but these are some of my favorites. Uh, one was that you couldn't drag a chair all across the ground on the Sabbath because that was creating little rows, and it was basically like you're plowing fields, so you couldn't do that. Uh, another one was that you weren't allowed to take a bath on the Sabbath because some of the water might splash out, and it was kind of like washing the bathtub or washing the floor. You couldn't do that. Another one that gets more and more real each year I get older is you weren't allowed to look in a mirror because you could see a gray hair and you'd be tempted to pluck it and thus work on the Sabbath. <laughs> uh, do you see what we mean when we say the Pharisees had an outside-in approach to getting clean? Uh, there were rules, and if you followed those rules and you kept yourself being contaminated from other people out there, then surely God would accept you. He had to, right? Because you're doing your part and now it's time for God to do his part. Uh, the Pharisees, they saw the problem of sin as kind of out there. Kind of give a modern example. It's how we view COVID or how we can, right? It's a virus that's out there. And if we just do all the right things, we get our shots, we wear our mask, we stay out of big crowds, we wash our hands, then we won't get infected and we'll be fine. They saw sin as something out there as something you could avoid if you took the necessary precautions. But what does Jesus say? If you get your Bibles, uh, look back at verse 14. It says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, is Jesus against good hygiene and washing your hands? No. Please continue to wash your hands, okay? Uh, but not at all. But Jesus is against us thinking that we can in any way make ourselves acceptable to God by following our religious traditions, right? By listening to enough Christian music, uh, by coming to church at least two or three times a month, you know, by having the kind of right view of alcohol or language or Netflix, uh, by being in the right denomination. The point is not that hand washing is bad, the point is that Pharisees were wrongly teaching that you could be right in the eyes of God so long as you followed all the rules. What was most important in their eyes is that you looked super spiritual and holy and set apart from everyone else, right? You could wash away the guilt inside. Uh, if you look back at verse 18, this is when Jesus and his disciples, they, they kind of come away from everybody. They're in a house and they ask him to explain it again. And I couldn't help but think of when Michael Scott in the office uh, he has a trouble kind of understanding something with accounting. And what does he say to Oscar? <laughs> he says, explain it to me like I'm five. That's what they're doing here. This is verse 18. It says, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And Jesus isn't pulling any punches here, is he? He's saying very clearly, and this is so important for us to get, he's saying the biggest problem is not out there, it's in here, in our hearts. So just to pick one at random, that's not a cultural hot topic at all, sexual immorality. Uh, This means, and this is so important, this means that sexual immorality does not come from the internet. Sexual immorality doesn't come from the way someone else dresses. I know we're Presbyterians, but ladies, y'all can amen to that. Uh, Sexual immorality doesn't exist because of the educational system or because of those people, whoever you're tempted to point the finger at, saying they're the cause of it. Where does it come from? The heart. So it's out of the overflow of our hearts. Imagine, I heard someone say this one time, it's very helpful. He says, imagine you take a, a glass of water and it's filled to the brim and then you set it on a table and you bump the table. What happens? It spills, it splashes out. Right? And that you bumping the table led to that action, but the, the water was always there. Like the cup didn't create the water that spilled out. It just exposed what was in the glass to begin with. Uh, on a personal note, I, I've never thought of myself as a particularly angry person. I've always kind of prided myself on being slow to anger and patient and kind. Uh, but the, the last kind of six months or so for our family has been brutal. Uh, People we knew sinned against us and we trusted them. And I'll leave it at that. But lately, it doesn't take much for me to get angry about something. It's just like this sea of anger just kind of right underneath the surface. And so when someone cuts me off in traffic and I grip the steering wheel as tight as I can and some truly terrible thoughts come through my mind, uh, or when my kids are running around crazy and they don't listen and I respond a little more harshly than I should, or when I'm short with my wife, I want to think that when my anger flares up, It's because of what's being done to me. It's their fault, right? They did this to me. That's why I'm reacting like this. Uh, But what does Jesus say here? He says, no way. He says, it's not your circumstances that are the the cause of your anger. It's your heart. It's you, Mark. Just like that glass of water getting bumped, it was there all along. It just spilled out. Look back at verse 21 again. Uh, Again, Jesus is not gentle with his words. He says, for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. In other words, you are the problem. I'm the problem. Regardless of what political party is in office this four years, regardless of how stable your life is right now, regardless of how your kids are doing, how your school is going, regardless if you're single, dating, divorced, married, uh, Jesus does not let us point the finger at anyone or anything else except ourselves when it comes to our sin. Uh, There's a great story about G.K. Chesterton. He was around back in the early 1900s, and he's a brilliant Catholic thinker and, and writer. Uh, And this newspaper in London, they decided they were going to kind of throw out a question to all these great thinkers in London and have them write in their responses, and then they'd publish it. It's a great idea. And the question they asked was, what is wrong with the world? And you can imagine all these brilliant kind of like mathematicians and philosophers, they had just all kinds of great examples they would write in and why they thought the world was so messed up. And then G.K. Chesterton, his response was four words long to the question, what is wrong with the world? And he just wrote back, dear sirs, I am. Isn't that amazing? What's wrong with the world? 
I am. It's not the stressors in your life, it's not the culture, it's not your childhood, it's not the alcohol, it's not your relationships, it's not fill in the blank, it's you and it's me. This is a really cheery sermon, isn't it? I don't know if Jared's gonna let me preach here again, but (laughs) beyond Jesus' words, they are meant to be heavy here. Uh, He's confronting an entire people group whose religious leaders have for generations just been heaping unnecessary laws on them, hammering home this false idea that what you do can make you right with God. That if you keep yourself separated from all the bad stuff and the bad people out there, you'll be clean and you'll be fine and God will love you. Uh, I met with a staff this week and we were kind of going through the passage, just picking things out. It was really helpful. And Marnie made a really good point. She was saying, you know, right after Jesus lists all the nastiness and the stuff in our hearts that defile us, Jesus just kind of stops there. Like he doesn't list this, this list of all these things in our hearts and say, well, yeah, but don't worry about it. I'll forgive you. Uh, he just tells them how unclean their hearts are in the passage ends. And that's it. So let's close in prayer. Uh, but look, look back at verses 18 and 19. Did you notice a little aside that the author of Mark's gospel gives us there? Jesus says in verse 18, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And then after that, the author of Mark puts in a little parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. Uh, Just a few words, but they have such deep significance to them. All those food laws, all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament where they said, eat this, don't eat this, touch this, don't touch this. And if you break one, you couldn't go to the temple to offer your sacrifice. You're ceremonially unclean. You had to go through all other sorts of hoops and jumps to be clean again so that you could offer your sacrifice. It was maddening and it took up so much time and that was the point, right? Jesus fulfills all of these rules and these hoops, which is why we get to eat bacon and shrimp. It's wonderful. (laughs) Uh, You know, sometimes maybe you've had this thought too, you think, man, Christians aren't very consistent because they don't follow all these laws that we see in the Old Testament. They eat different things. You know, oh, Mark's wearing a a shirt that has two blends of fabrics in it, which was a big no-no in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills those laws. Those laws were meant to point to our need to be cleansed, and Jesus does exactly that. Y'all, this is beautiful. In the same breath where Jesus tells us about the state of our hearts, which is not good, uh, we get to see what Jesus' heart looks like. Jesus declaring all foods to be clean that Jesus delights in making the unclean clean. Uh, Jesus delights removing stains from the filthy. And do you know what the good news is? It's the invitation to come to Jesus and to, to have him let you completely be clean and completely clean before the Father, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've been with, where you've been, what you've done. The invitation Jesus gives is not come to me and obey me, and if you do a really good job, then I'll probably forgive you. Praise God, that's not what he says. Jesus has already gone to the cross. Jesus has already risen from the dead. And so the invitation is not for you to come and obey in order to be forgiven. The invitation is for you to come to Jesus, strive to obey God's law, knowing that in Christ you have already been forgiven. Amen? Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-9 through 9 says this. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess. Acknowledge your sin and your brokenness before Jesus 
Accept his offer to make you clean, and he will do it. He delights in making you clean. The question you have to ask is, but how? Like, if our sin is so offensive to God, if the Bible's true and our sin not only leads to death, but it leads to this eternal separation from the Father, how can he promise to make us clean? Well, the thing about making something clean is that you have to make something else dirty to make something else clean. Uh, our kids love, we love Chick-fil-A. I don't think that's a unique to us thing. Everybody loves Chick-fil-A. Uh, and we love the Chick-fil-A sauce, as you should. But for some reason, five minutes after we get it in our car and we're driving down the road and my kids are eating, I look back and that stuff is just plastered over their face. I don't know how it gets there. I don't know if they just lick the little canisters of Chick-fil-A sauce or what. It's gross. Uh, but how do we get them clean? We got to get like 20 napkins and wipe their faces and so their faces are clean, but we have this crumpled mess of like neon yellow sauce on there. Uh, when you blow your nose, this is a gross example, but you blow your nose to get all that nastiness out of your body and your nose, and then your nose is clean, but you have a disgusting Kleenex in your hand. Uh, you spill something in the kitchen. You need clean paper towels to make your kitchen clean, but then you have dirty paper towels. The only way for something to become clean is for something else to be dirty in its place. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is probably one of my favorite verses. It says, For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, on the cross, Jesus became sin, so that by faith in him, you and I could be righteous. We could have this perfect, unblemished standing before the Father that is permanent. The Father treated Jesus the way you and I deserve to be treated on the cross so that by faith, you and I could be treated the way Jesus deserves, fully accepted, fully loved, fully approved. On the cross, Jesus became filthy so that you and I could be clean. Uh, and the first step to getting this is acknowledging your brokenness. It's saying right along with G.K. Chesterton, I'm the problem. My heart's the problem. My heart is so filthy, I need to be clean but Jesus, I can't do it. I need you to do it for me. And y'all, the promise of the gospel is he will. Confess your sins and he will. I'll end with this. Uh, we've, our family, we finally got around to watching the Disney movie Encanto. Anybody else seen that? I love that movie. It's so good. You should definitely watch it. Uh, the story centers around this extended family in Colombia. They all live in this big mansion. Um, and each person in the family basically has their own superpower. Uh, Bear with me. Uh, Luisa, she has like super strength. She can move anything. Um, Isabella's beautiful, graceful, flawless. She can make flowers like grow up out of the ground. Uh, the mother can heal people. Uh, Peppa, I think is her name. She can control the weather and she makes all the, the stuff grow. Then there's Bruno, but we don't talk about Bruno. Right? Uh, and everyone in the town, they look up to this family because they're good people. They use their gifts for the good of this this town, and everybody loves them, and they think they're this perfect, shining example of what a family should be. And as the story goes along, the family members start to open up, and they start to share their weaknesses, and their fears, and their shortcomings, and how they've hurt people. And it turns out that this family is actually incredibly dysfunctional. Uh, Bruno caused some trouble in the family, and he was so ashamed that he ran away. Uh, and everybody just decided, yeah, we're not going to talk about Bruno anymore. Even though they sing the song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, where they proceed to talk about Bruno right behind his back. Uh, the strong one, Luisa, she's starting to lose her strength. She's kind of crumbling under the pressure of holding this family together and doing all the right stuff. 
The pretty one, she's engaged, but she doesn't really want to marry this guy. She just feels like that's her expectation. Everybody's looking at her to get married to this other guy. And towards the end of the movie, once everyone has finally been honest with each other about their struggles and their shortcomings and their fears, the actual house starts to crumble around them and it just falls to the ground. And it's so sad to see this family kind of standing in the wreckage of their once beautiful home and to have all their their garbage just exposed and on display. It feels like a death for this family. And maybe you've experienced this. To go from having an entire, you probably haven't had a whole town think you're perfect and shiny, but that's where they were. And they can convince themselves, we're perfect, we're good, we're better than these people. And yet in the end, to be covered in the dust and debris from your home just crumbling around you. And so when everything seems helpless and they seem so defeated, uh, they hear the townspeople coming up the hill. And they turn and look, and all the townspeople have hammers and nails and wood and ladders in their hands, and they're singing, because it's a Disney movie, they're singing, lay, hey, lay down your load, lay down your load, we're only down the road. We have no gifts, but we are many, and we'll do anything for you. You will cry when you watch this movie. Uh, but it's this beautiful scene where they all work together to build a house for this family to live in, and it's only because they came to grips with how jacked up they were and how much they had hurt each other that they can actually change, be broken down, but then become a functioning, flourishing family. And so the invitation for you this morning is to lay down your load. Uh, stop pretending that you're something that you're not. Stop pretending that you've got it all together. Stop pretending that you're better than other people. Acknowledge that you are in sin and you need deep cleansing. Know that on the cross, Jesus carried your load for you, and he delights to make you clean. Amen? And let me pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are holy and righteous and perfect. And even though we are not, you love us. And you send Jesus to make us right with you. You send Jesus to be perfect and to lay down his life on our behalf so that we don't have to endure that separation from you. Or would you press that truth deep into us? Help us to know your love. Help us to share your love with others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You send Jesus to be perfect and to lay down his life on our behalf so that we don't have to endure that separation from you. Or would you press that truth deep into us? Help us to know your love. Help us to share your love with others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.